Hello and welcome to another rousing edition of Trending Topics with BB. I am your humble host, Brooke Brown, hence the BB. We are back for another rousing edition, a new episode featuring a lovely conversation right before what is the U.S. holiday of Thanksgiving next week, as this will be published. So I wanted to give you some lovely content for you lovely listeners out there. And speaking of that, if you haven't, please make a favorable rating or comment on any platform where ratings are found, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player.fm, wherever you can leave a favorable rating for a podcast, please do so. It helps this podcast be found by the algorithm and suggested to other listeners that have not found this podcast. So thank you. And along those lines, please make sure you have bookmarked the official website, which is TrendingTopicsWithBBPodcast.com. It has gotten updated. Uh, It should be a lot more user-friendly for those that are looking for updates on new episodes as well as links to the merchandise page and all of the social media so please check it out at your earliest convenience all right so my guest uh this is another episode where we chatted live uh on uh using our lovely pals at restream to give it a live feeling out in the world of facebook youtube and twitch land so you will hear that as i encourage and shout out people that were watching this live with comments and questions. Uh, I'm talking about a house music DJ, producer, and label owner known as Doc Brown. Uh, As you will hear in this episode, uh, we are both sailors of the Groove Cruise that has been brought up many times in many episodes of this podcast now, not only in the beginning of 2020 with my recap, but as well as my conversation with Groove Cruise founder, Jason Bacoma, which is a few episodes back. Uh, We talk about that. We talk about his career in the music industry. He dropped some knowledge about how he became a DJ. And also we talk about the fact that like we're now uh, chatting every Sunday in a long live stream on Twitch. So without further ado, I'll give you my lovely conversation with Doc Brown. Well, to a new episode of Trending Topics with BB. And thank you for joining me. Before we get into it, I want to let people who will watch this or hear this later. Uh, You can put questions and comments in the chat and we'll try to field them as they come in um, as we're speaking about different topics. And that way you guys can be interactive with us. And then this should be available for replay later on YouTube and uh, Facebook, as well as the podcast feed. So watch out uh, to all of you out there. So. Welcome uh, for joining me. And uh, before we get into it, I kind of want to talk about about um, my first time seeing you, DJ, uh, was this year on the Groove Cruise and how the Groove Cruise is like, once you Groove Cruise, you can't not Groove Cruise kind of a thing. Yeah. So <laughs> um, before we get into your background, uh, mm-hmm. talk about your experiences on the Groove Cruise so we can... Yeah, well, the Groove Cruise has been really amazing to me. Um, the Groove Cruise and the Groove Cruise fam were definitely some of the first to kind of be on board uh, with my music. I actually won a DJ contest. Um, man, it's 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 been some time now. It's getting probably close to ten years or something like that. Um, where I it was the full first full ship charter, and uh, it was a DJ mix competition. And uh, my girlfriend said, "Hey, you gotta check this out. Enter this contest." So I entered the contest. Um, and I ended up winning the competition and it was for a spot to DJ on the groove cruise. Uh, I had never been on a cruise before, let alone a groove cruise. Um, so it was a really eye opening, crazy experience. And what I found was that the groove cruise was really, um, a very unique experience in that I'd been to a lot of music festivals, uh, done some bigger events and stuff like that. Um, but the intimacy on the Groove Cruise is kind of unlike anything else because you're all there on the boat. Um, it's a smaller group of people, you know, depending on which Groove Cruise you've been on, somewhere between probably 2,000 and 2,500 people. Um, so it's it's very intimate and, you know, you spend a lot of time with the people. You're eating right next to the other artists and the fans and you're passing them in the hallways back to your cabin. And so it becomes this very sort of like cohesive experience that I think is is very unique and I really enjoy it. It's one of my favorite things to do every year, um, just reunite. And, and the people that go are just so much fun. 
and it's curated to be a fun event by the people who put it on at wet travel with all the um the themes and the you know artist interactions and all that stuff so i mean i think it's amazing and i think anyone who has never been on one and especially if you enjoy this type of music should definitely check it out and i've had friends that have come on group cruise who aren't even huge house music fans they just like fun and they have a blast so you know it's definitely one one to check out if you haven't yet yeah <laughs> yeah go ahead uh, say again all right so what i was saying is um i had tried to get on the group cruise for five years mm -hmm. and then basically like i finally got it this year and like i felt the same vibes like just it's it's different because i've been to other like i've been to edc and i've been to other festivals but it's a totally different vibe than like those festivals are um groove cruise is just such a cohesive group of people that like welcome you with arms throughout the ship and you run into people in the elevator or in the buffet or it's just so cool it, and it's one of those things I feel like when you try to explain it to someone who hasn't been on a groove cruise, you can use all those words that I used and the and whatever, and and you kind of get a picture of it. But unless you've actually been on a groove cruise and experienced, there's no real way to describe it because those those things that you're describing right there, the the welcoming of the people, the vibe, all that kind of stuff. It's it's really a tangible thing that you can feel in the air when you're on the Groove Cruise. And it's kind of hard to put into words to explain to someone who's never been on one, you know, exactly what that is. Right. And so, yeah, it, it, yeah. so yeah, I spoke to Jason about the head of what trouble about just why it's such a great event because everybody just brings positivity on the, on the ship. So it's cool. Yes. Yeah, the Groove Cruise fam special, very sure. Yeah. Sure. yeah. So I kind of want to talk about your background. So I know you worked in a &R and all the good stuff in the industry. Can you talk a bit about how you got started in music and what led you to DJing? Uh, yeah. So I've loved, I mean, ever, ever since I was not, not even old enough to really understand even what music was, I, I've, I've loved music. I mean, I've always loved music. I've always loved listening to music. Um, and then when I was in high school, I was in a, a band. I played guitar. I was in a rock band. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed, you know, collaborating with the other musicians in the band and writing music. I enjoyed playing. I enjoyed playing in front of people. Um, and this was when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, the time came to graduate high school and decide what you want to do. And some of the people in my band, you know, they wanted to keep the band going. I wanted to go to college. Um, I thought to myself, I said, I really like this being in the music thing, but you know, that whole like being an artist thing, it's kind of sketchy, you know, it's no artists don't make any money, you know, whatever. So I said, well, if I work in the music industry, then I will be around music, which I like. And I'll also, you know, have the security of having health insurance and a regular paycheck and like all those other things. So how do I do that? Uh, this is me in high school thinking to myself, how do I do that? So I started doing some research and this was this was a while ago. So it, there are a, a number of music business programs throughout the country at the collegiate level now. But at the time that I was looking at it, there it was kind of a new thing. There weren't really a lot of them and they were varying. Um, there were some universities in the Midwest that had programs. They were more geared toward the product industry, you know, working for Yamaha or Fender or something like that. Um, and the program in Miami, was more geared at working for record labels and and more specific to that. So um, I did some campus visits. I considered uh, you know going to school in Seattle and Miami. I mean, obviously, opposite places of the country. I visited the campus in Miami. I liked it. Um, I decided that I was going to you know go to school there. They offered me a scholarship, uh, which was nice. Um, and I did the music business program there. So then, then when I moved to Miami, I got involved. I really learned about electronic music. I, I didn't know anything about electronic music to be. I mean, I knew, I knew freestyle music from like way back. That that yeah. it, that had crossover radio, and I heard that music when I was younger and growing up, even in Phoenix, Arizona. But as far as like you know clubs and the lights and the djing and and the strobes and the you know all that stuff not a clue about it until i came to miami and when i came to miami it was like right around that time where there was you know huge european influx to miami beach 
clubs like liquid and whatever. I mean, that was an early club that I went to when I was in Miami, very young. And, um, I was just kind of blown away by the music, um, and, and everything. So, uh, I ended up graduating. I took a job working for a record label, uh, in Miami and, uh, one my very first paychecks that I made, I went out and I bought to, uh, 1200s and, uh, VMC 07 pro like battle mixer. And I spent a lot of my money when I was first working on going in the vinyl shops here in Miami. Grooveman Music was one. Uh, Uncle Sam's was another. Uh, and I used to spend a lot of money on records just, just to buy them. So I wasn't really playing out or doing anything professionally. It was just for fun, just for me. And, I, you know, I just play records and play records and play records. And then I eventually moved to New York City, still working for the same record label, Um and then I, I kind of fell out of DJing. I actually was working with a lot more like indie rock music and that kind of stuff. And then when I was living in New York, some of the bands and artists that I was work, working with were, were people like LCD Sound System and Digitalism and a lot of that sort of like stuff that was kind of like indie rock, but it was crossing back over into the electronic world. And I really liked it. And I got back, I started getting back into DJing. And it wasn't long after that that I ended up moving back down to Miami. And at that point, my sort of like career in the music industry i was working in i was doing manufacturing and production for like cds and dvds so a lot of like conceptual design of like box sets and like stuff like that which was cool and it was project based and it i really enjoyed it um but nobody buys box sets or cds <laughs> or anything anymore so that was kind of coming to an end and at the same time basically i sort of won a groove cruise contest that groove cruise contest um, I won a contest to play at EDC in Orlando with Insomniac. Um, I started producing and having some success there. And I just sort of said, you know, to the me way back in high school that thought it was kind of a risky move to be a musician that, hey, maybe why not give this a try? And that was a while ago now. And it's been been going that way since then. So that's sort of like the long version of how I got to where I'm at now. Well, I want to touch on something, too, is that we're both from Arizona. Correct. I grew up in Phoenix. I know you're a U University of Arizona graduate. Yeah, I went. I grew up in Prescott. Okay. I lived in Phoenix most Prescott. of my like the last. Yeah. So and then I went to U of A. And okay. so most of my friends from Phoenix went to U of A. ASU was too close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I liked U of A better, but that's the yeah. whole thing. <laughs> um, so when you grew growing up, you said you weren't kind of a, as aware of electronic music. It, I know there was like a scene back in the day in Phoenix that a lot of like, like Marcus Schultz got his start there and a, right. a lot of other DJs and then they all left. Yeah. Um, were you aware of that type of music? I wasn't then? really aware of it. I, I knew um, uh, some people in Phoenix that were into kind of like a more jungle rave scene. This was in, this was before I left from Miami to come to college. Um, I was, roughly familiar with the music but didn't really know that much about it at all i mean at the time i was in a rock band so my all everything that i was consuming music wise writing all that kind of stuff was all rock based music so um actually towards the end of the band one of the band members was really st starting to get into nine inch nails and wanted to incorporate a synthesizer into the act and we were all kind of like, whoa, you know, it's not, it's not, that's not what we're doing here. Um, in retrospect, I think that that was probably a bit reactionary and not that came from a place inside me that probably wasn't the right place being reactionary to incorporating that in the music. But um, that's just kind of how things were at the time. And the, and I mean, even for some rock musicians now, the way that they feel about dance music is, is, is a similar thing that it's, it's because it's not played on an instrument, which we can argue the semantics of that one way or another, that it's, that it's somehow or another is more lifeless or it doesn't have a, an authenticity to it that, that music played on real instruments has. And I think I had a little bit, I, which I ha do not, have any longer after doing this for a while i mean all of the pitfalls and the traps and the things that all people talk about when it comes to you know music being formulaic or or lazy or whatever that's in every genre it's in every instrument it's in every discipline 
you know, so for, I, I don't, the point, the finger pointing thing is something that I just really don't understand anymore. But I think at that time I was a little less, less educated on all that than I am now. Right. And I think, well, it's interesting because I kind of feel the same way. Like I, I played saxophone for many years Okay, and like, I still love electronic music. So I don't think there should be like uh, instrument musician versus somebody that knows sense and ways. I don't, I don't know how to do, I don't think there should be any point in the fingers. It's music is music. It's all subjective. So I, I think it's funny how people are like, electronic music is now music. And I'm like, how? <laughs> I mean, I remember that in the, in, uh, you know, kind of right around the time I moved to Miami, a very similar thing with the way that people felt about hip hop music as well, being based on samples and that the words were spoken rather than sung. Um, people wanted to say, oh, that's not music. But I mean, the truth is, is music is melody and rhythm and groove and that can exist in all kinds of different ways. I mean, and you don't have to know anything about music to be able to create it. I mean, any anybody who's watching this right now or doesn't even know anything about music knows how to sing along to their favorite song and that's creating music. So it's not like, it's not something that needs to be studied in order to be able to be made or anything like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's obviously something that's very natural to us as humans, why that is. I'll leave to the anthropologists to figure out, but um, it's 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 innate in all of us, and we all I feel like have a connection to music one way or another, even if we don't consider ourselves musicians. So you know, it's universal, right? And my my next question is is like from your studies and moving to Miami and and working in the industry, what evolution did you see in terms of because because a lot of people are like really want the fame and the fortune of music. But if you go into the music industry with that kind of attitude, it kind of crashes and burns pretty quickly. So I guess my question is, what have you seen in, in your journey that has changed the way people are? I know COVID's a whole different thing right now, but. Yeah. I mean, I kind of look at it as there's, I mean, I, I see a lot of dualities in the music industry, right? I mean, and, and it's very specific. And I feel like it's either one way or another way, like people who are out there creating music, I mean, especially in the DJ and electronic music world realm, they're, they're motivated by one of two things, right? They're either motivated by the fact that they really love the music. They love making the music. They love DJing. They love the parties. They, they just, they just love it. They love the culture and that's why they do it. And other people do it because they want to be the center of attention. And it is a good way to be the center of attention if that's what you want to be, depending on what type of parties you're playing and how you conduct yourself. Um, and, and it's for me, at least now it's, it, I mean, in, within two seconds of talking to you, I can figure out what your motivation is and why you're in this. And generally what I've found is the people who are really into it and really love making music and love the process and love all that stuff. They, they, they they recognize each other and 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 there's a bond there that's sort of instantly formed with someone when you have that sort of connection and those people stay in touch with each other and they work together and they know each other and whatever and then you have the other people and you know who those are too now sometimes to the the casual person who's just following along on Instagram or Facebook might not be able to differentiate between the two but i would say that trust me on the inside of the industry people know whose motivations are what and then that fo follows in terms of how what your strategy is in terms of how you're going to present your brand and whatever i mean if all you're in it for is attention then there's a number of great ways to go about doing that that have absolutely nothing to do with music so um that's a path that you can take and it is proven to be successful for some people um, I do feel for like the people who really love the culture and love the music that that would never even be an option or something that you would consider because it would be so hollow and empty. Right. I mean, for me, I love the process of making music. So if I'm in here by myself and I'm writing a song, I'm enjoying that, that, that gives me great joy and pleasure to do that. So whether or not there was anything, whether or not there was a performance at EDC or on Groove Cruise or whether or not this blog was going to be running some premiere of my track or whatever, I don't 
I'm not thinking about any of that when I'm doing that. Right. I'm, it's just, this is what I would be doing if I had a day job and I came home and I want, instead of watching TV, this is what I would do. Right. So, um, and I think that that's, that's, there's a lot of people out there in music who are doing that and making a living doing it. So it just comes down to your motivations really. Um, and how you choose to pursue them. Right. Like the passion for it and the authenticity behind the passion. I think, I think the big reason why like I reach out to you and a lot of people is because I love music and I love people that love music. And so I just, it's interesting when you see people that are just in it because they're like, Oh, I want to be on stage. Um, it's what I mean. So to someone who's passionate, usually I find that it's pretty obvious and you, you can do whatever you want with that information, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um, so what do you, in terms of that, like we've seen some interesting things happen in the past with people around somebody talented within the industry being pushed to do something that is pretty bad. Like in terms of being surrounded by people within the industry to push somebody, if somebody doesn't necessarily want to be a DJ, but they want to produce. It's I mean, a tough racket right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. What uh, is, what is that kind of, what have you felt? in terms of that oh, well what i feel in terms of that number one is that the music industry has been in a state of flux for 20 20 plus years now since the advent of digital basically and when digital moved towards it was still physical digital it was an mp3 or something you had to actually physically have on your hard drive and now it's streaming which was another change um it's just been in flux the whole time. And so the, so the, so the, so the business model and the revenue streams have just been changing quicker than you can even keep up. Right. So the problem is, is the revenue streams right now are geared very heavily towards performance. So if you happen to be a very great producer that either doesn't want to perform or can't perform or whatever, you're in a really hard spot right now because the, there aren't really revenue streams set up for you to be able to make a comfortable living doing that unless you have massive, massive tracks that you're releasing on a regular basis. And I think that with all the changes in, in the past 20 years, as, as a society, we need to sort of look at the model that we have for supporting creators, especially musicians, because the, that medium is the easiest to, to, that where the physicalness of it just disappeared, right? I mean, m music and then movies was next and photographs. I mean, I, I can't imagine how many photo photographers out there that have photographs all over the internet that are just being used without their permission or not getting compensated for. So I think there needs to be some sort of overhaul in the music industry just about the way the compensation structure um, is based. And I think that that's something that's probably going to need to be taken up by governments and performing rights agencies to some sort of strike some sort of a balance on on everything there seem to be a lot of people making money on music and um unfortunately the artists seem to be one of the last people in line to get paid so um i'd like to see that changed you know going forward um i'd like to see it such that if 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 you were a creator and you created something of value that you could that you could make a living doing that if people were if there were enough people out there paying attention you know you shouldn't have to have 5 million streams on Spotify to be able to pay your rent that just that's not realistic when other people are making enough money to pay rent off of your 5 million streams you know right so in in terms of that we during covid now and how we've met is this mm -hmm. whole twitch world and how great it's been to just hang out with people on Twitch. But I'm worried that, you know, because of the structure you just mentioned, that things might change because of copyright infringement and all of that crazy stuff. So, like, what I don't understand about that is that it's still getting the music out there and it's still being presented by an artist. I don't understand why that can be specifically with you know, touring not happening right now, why that is being attacked or. Well, let's be very specific here. It's only being attacked basically by the major labels. UMG specifically is, okay. the, is the most aggressive about pursuing these DMCA violations. So 
they have their reasons. I mean, people have been talking for 20 years that the, that the uh, major label business model has been outdated. I mean, the idea behind having a record label in the first place goes back to it predates the idea of digital music because in order to make a record in the 80s, it was a very costly endeavor. I mean, it cost a lot of money to book a studio and rent equipment and manufacture a CD and get distributors to push it out in the stores and put the advertising up so that people could buy a record and then that money and then the store would take their cut and the distributor would take their cut and then it would get back to the label and then they'd take their cut and the money would go to their artists and the manager would take their cut and the lawyer would take their cut and, and it would keep going back. And then, the, you know, but that it was a necessary system because it cost literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to produce a record and get it in the store and get it to be sold right so you needed a you needed a label as a bank the the label needed to front that money for you that you didn't have and get you in the studio and make that thing happen because you could do that on your own now with the advent of technology you can make a record in ableton you can promote it online with an online distributor you don't need a record label to do any of that but their business model is still based on the old method. So they're, grasp, they're grasping at straws, trying to pick up whatever pennies they can on their outdated business model, which is no longer as efficient as it used to be. And they're going about it by just making sure that the only place that you can consume their music is through channels that they're able to monetize, which if you get a DMC violation, that means that you're using content from someone that they're not able to monetize and they want you to take it down, which is fair. I mean, it's, 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 it's copyright. They own it. Um, but to be real, the big talk about what's going on with everything is really just spearheaded by the big guys. I mean, you can see labels like Anjuna beats are putting out swath of their catalog. That's available for Twitch streams. Most independent labels, including mine are not issuing DMCA takedowns on anything. Um, you have the ability with most platforms, even YouTube or whatever, to say, you know, if someone, if someone puts up a video, a live performance or, of whatever, and it has my song in it and it's on their YouTube channel, they're able to monetize that. They're able to make ads on that. And that's not exactly right because they are using my music, but I don't want them to take that down either because it's also good promotion. So most platforms, YouTube's one good where you could either issue a takedown and, and have that issue, have, have that audio muted or whatever, or you could just have a system where they run ads on the video and then you collect some of the revenue on those ads on the video. So there's different ways to approach it. Um, I'm a big believer in, in the promotional aspect of the internet. Um, like I said, with my label, we're not aggressively pursuing any takedowns or anything. Um, but it is something you need to be aware of. I mean, if you're using major label music, you're going to have problems because that's just the way that they've decided to approach this situation. So it, that they're, they're not in the wrong either. So, um, you know, if you're using their music without permission and you're making money on it, even if you're not making money on it, it's still not legal. So this is why we need sweeping reform in terms of the yeah. laws and the everything. I mean, it, basically the laws haven't been able to keep up with the technology. So, and that's, that's sort of the situation that we're in right now. And DMCA was sort of a response to that, which basically said, Hey, we're not going to be able to stop people from putting something up on the internet. But what we're saying is, is if you are a content hoster and a rights holder reaches out to you and says, you can't have this on the channel. You have to take it down. And if you don't, then you're in violation. So it gives you that little bit of a, so people go crazy about these, these takedown notices, but in essence, the tech takedown notices aren't really that big of a deal. Cause they're basically just saying, take it down. Nobody gets hurt. Right. That's, that's, they're going to Twitch and they're saying, mute this audio. Otherwise we're going to have problems. So you just mute the audio. Okay, fine. I mean, to me, not that big of a deal. Um, I also don't use a lot of major label music. And so, I mean, it is what it is, you know, uh, they're well yeah. within their rights to do that. So, well, that's kind of how I saw it, but a lot of people, I've seen some people like freaking out one way or the other. So I just kind of wanted a little bit more clarity for those that maybe be watching or thinking of I streaming. I, I'll be honest with you. I worry a lot about what people know about copyright law. Well, what people think they know about copyright law. Um, I see flat out misinformation on the internet 
all the time about copyright law. The main, the main one that you'll see all the time is I'm not making money on it. So it, it's, it's okay. And that is absolutely wrong. It doesn't matter if you're making money on it or not. I mean, if you steal somebody something, you've stolen it. It doesn't whether whether you go out and are able to sell that and make money on it or not has no difference on no has no bearing on the fact or not whether you stole it. So, just general ideas about oh, if I sample this, it's okay, or 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 how there's two different copyrights. There's a copyright for the sound recording and there's a copyright for the publishing, and they're different. And you need to if you're going to sample something, you need the rights for both. And People just don't really understand it. And increasingly, I'm seeing a lot of, especially younger people, just not care, um, which is concerning to me because you never want to get in a situation where people are devaluing the art, right? Where pe Because there's, there's long-term repercussions for that down the line. You might be 25 years old right now and think that it's awesome that you're able to put all these DJ mixes on Twitch or whatever. But what happens if that later on down the line leads to there being no value for performed music whatsoever. You don't get compensated for that anymore. It's just considered to be ubiquitous and part of society or whatever. That's going to lead to problems to you later on down the road once you're producing and you have content out there that you're trying to monetize. So it's it's a tricky it's a tricky line to walk there, you know, the promotional versus being able to monetize things aspect. So right. And you mentioned something about your label and like obviously I've been in the streams like do you, th it's not going to affect those like yourself to play a lot of your own music or people within the industry that may be considered underground mm -hmm. and not necessarily as mainstream than maybe something well-known by like Michael Jackson or Prince or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but I worry about those like open format DJs that I have seen on Twitch. Uh Open format is going to be tough because basically all that, and, and, it, and I was talking about the duality before. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, with underground dance music, the idea is, is you're literally trying to play stuff that no one's ever heard before or that you're, I mean, that's the object of the game, right? In some aspects of the dance music world, and especially in open format, the object of the game is to play things that people know and they respond to and they have a reaction because they know it. That's the, that's the game there. And most music, if it's music that people know and is widely popular, most likely it either is on one of the major labels or has been licensed in by one of the major labels, which puts it under their umbrella of content to protect. And it's it's a difficult position, definitely for open format DJs for sure on Twitch. I mean, I mean, I get I I every one of my streams is muted. I mean, not in stream, but every one of my uh, VODs has a mute on it and I play underground music. I mean, maybe I play a, a, a bootleg or an edit that I've made this sort of like a different version of that. And sometimes content gets misflagged, but I, I have, there's zero VOD streams I have that haven't been muted for something. So, you know, it's out there, the takedown, the, they're out there. But I think the beauty is being they're live, but, um, <laughs> I agree. I, I mean, and if you look at, if I look at the stats on what's going on live versus what people are watching VOD, it's all of the engagement and all of the, everything is live on Twitch. I mean, it's a live platform, you know, it's what's awesome about it. So Agreed. I mean, and you're one of the few that does like long sets on Twitch. Your Sunday 12 hour stream is like, I'm always like, I can go do something, come back, go do something and know you're going to be there. It's yeah, we, uh, and some other DJs, you know, I mean, they might be doing a, a long one here or there if they reach some sort of sub goal or, or donation goal, but you're one of the ones that consistently just does it well, Sundays. You know, it's, it's funny. It's we, when I, when we started the stream, we started it and we started with the idea that it was going to be a three hour stream and it was going to run from noon to three on Sundays. And that was the idea. And we started the first stream and we were having so much fun that we couldn't stop. So we just kind of kept going and we just kind of kept going. And then we, I mean, there were all these people in the chat and they're watching and they're having fun. And we're like, well, how do you just like press a button to end all this and just like poof. And then it like disappears. Like, why would we do that? I don't know. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. And so we did. Um, and it's turned into a really crazy, cool, uh, fun thing on Sundays. And for me as a DJ, 
it's been really awesome because it's 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 given me time to really dig through my collection you know down to the bottom and and really sift through everything reorganize things um you know get rid of some of the stuff that that maybe isn't really working anymore and then add so much more new music to the collection because i'm playing for so long every week that as a dj and a selector as someone who loves curating music and making playlists and all that kind of stuff it's been awesome and uh you know obviously playing for that long will hone your dj skills as well so uh it's been honestly awesome for me and the community the twitch community is something that i did not see coming i mean my second stream straight off the gate i was i didn't even really know what a raid was and i was raided by gabriel and dresden which is one of the bigger channels on twitch and Club quarantine <laughs> yeah i mean I, I, to be honest with you it was it was my second stream and i probably didn't even handle it all that well i don't even think i had a microphone or anything so I, I didn't even really know how to how to thank people or I didn't even really know I, I didn't know anything about it. It was overwhelming and a little bit confusing. But at the same time, I knew when I woke up the next morning and I looked back on what had happened, like I made a lot of money on that stream there. I got all these new people that were following me from these stream. There were hundreds of people watching me like I was like, wow, the power of Twitch and the Twitch community is like super real here, like let's i mean uh, i mean at that point i was like all in and like let's 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 just keep this going so i've been very fortunate enough to develop a really really nice community around my channel um of people who are fun and uh respectful of each other um which is awesome and i'm i'm thankful to all of them and and you know everything because this has really been a lifesaver for me during this this period for sure is is the twitch streams um you know, from a, from a social point of view, from a financial point of view, from a, you know, just a mental stability <laughs> kind right. of thing. You know, it's been, it's been important for me certainly over these past, you know, six, seven, eight months <laughs> they yeah. were going on, so, you know? Right. And I mean, you've also done cabin fever for the Groove Cruise channel, right? Correct. So, cabin fever, a couple a couple festivals for them. Yeah. So it's like crossing over between GC fam and then people that are new. Um, yeah. And, and I, to be honest with you, I have, you know, like my parents ask me all the time, like, cause they watch, they watch the show and Oh, who, who are these people? Are they like Groove Cruise people? Or like, uh, where do you know these people from? Are they from Miami or whatever? And the truth is, is I say, I met a lot of them on Twitch. I mean, there's Groove Cruise fam in there. There's people from Miami in there. There's, there is, but I mean, a good portion of these people, I didn't know them before. I started streaming in April or May or whenever it was, you know, and now they're like people that I would honestly, they're like friends, you know, I mean, I see them every week. I have a discord, we chat. Um, it's, 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 it's pretty cool. I gotta say. I agree. I'm, I'm very <laughs> impressed with Twitch as a platform. I do too. And I was, I was apprehensive at the beginning of uh, quarantine or whatever you want to call this. Uh, because you know, the old, my old thinking of chat rooms was like, oh, there's going to be people. But the cool thing is the moderators. I mean, you have Lauren, who's the best moderator ever. So it's Good. like, yeah. So it's been fun because everybody can just chat about music, chat about whatever. It's just a way to escape on yeah, Sundays and stuff. So now you have Wednesdays, which is great. Yeah. I'm so. doing Wednesdays too, doing it, doing uh, this one's actually three hours on Wednesdays, just three hours. So, uh, we do, we'll do that one on Wednesdays. But uh, the thing I noticed about Twitch is the chat is really actually key in Twitch. Really? I mean, and what it does or what I think I, I put my finger on what I like about what it does is it basically creates the underground club environment in a digital environment because yeah. when you go to an underground dance show, it's not like going to like a rock show where you're like focused on the band for this song and then they're done and you clap and you look at your friend, you go, Oh, wow, that was a really good track. Oh, you know, Oh, what are they going to play next? And uh, whatever. And then they go to the song and then everyone's focused on like what's going on. And then the song, it's not like that. It's just like a big, long, continuous sprawl of music and everyone's having a good time. And sometimes you're focused on the music and sometimes you're dancing. And sometimes you're having a conversation with your friend about what happened on Wednesday or the last time you saw that DJ or the crazy thing that happened to that club two weeks ago 
or it could be anything, right? That you'd be talking about. And that's what you're getting in Twitch is you're getting what's going on with the DJ. You're getting the music. And then you're also getting the social aspect of it in the chat. And it all kind of like comes together where it's this sort of like digital representation of, of what goes on in an underground club. And that, I mean, I think is pretty awesome. Right. So in the future, when some sort of normalcy happens yeah. um, and people start going touring, do you think you'll still, do you think people will still stick to Twitch in between gigs and everything? I mean, I would hope so. I mean, I think it's definitely opened a lot, a lot of people's uh, minds to the platform for sure. I know that personally I'm planning on incorporating streaming going forward. So part of what we did over the quarantine is we used some of the money um, that we made from the streams and some other things to be able to invest back into the show and uh, get some better equipment in terms of cameras, get a better computer with some uh, dedicated graphics processing so we could really stream at a higher quality and make sure that it was all mobile so that when things picked back up, we'd be able to throw everything in a backpack and go to the club and be able to present a two camera experience if the, at, at a minimum, if the club was willing, obviously. Um, and be able to stream those performances out. I mean, I, we were messing around with doing things, streaming EDC performances and and club performances on Facebook and all that kind of stuff before the pandemic. And I would honestly never go back to streaming on one of those platforms after being on Twitch. Um, Twitch puts the streamer first. I mean, in every other platform, you are the content or or you're you're basically like providing the content so that they can monetize it. And on Twitch, you, you're able to provide your own content and create your own channel and you're able to monetize it yourself. So I definitely am interested in incorporating whether or not there is real stream fatigue or people hang around after the pandemic dies down. I have no idea. I do know that I have a lot of people that listen to Twitch like the radio when they're in the car now, because, you know, instead of, uh, you know, listening to a sound cloud link or whatever it is, um, they're going and they're they're putting on a Twitch stream because the DJ's live, right? It's it's just a it's just a better experience for them. And I know, you know, not everyone goes out every night. And when I'm hanging at home, I want I mean, on Friday and Saturday nights, increasingly our go-to is instead of putting on the TV, is is to go to someone's Twitch channel and hang out and, and see who's there. There's usually gonna be someone I know in one of these channels chats and it's fun. And I love music, so it's win-win, right? Right. I mean, I love Spotify, but you can't chat on Spotify. So yeah, I think it's become a new way of like interacting with people that love music just as much as you mm -hmm. do. And it's all live. It's, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's live as opposed to being pre-recorded. So you get that whatever je ne sais quoi it is about something being live, you know? Right. I, I did want to break a shout out. Morgan. Yeah, just I see him in there. Yeah, you want to talk about the dog situation over here? Yeah, he has a he, he has a dog. Um, he he well, this is actually I. He has he had a dog, and he said, "Oh, I'm going to name the dog." He wants to name it something Groove Cruise related, and people were like, "Oh, with he, his last name Brown, so yeah. Doc Brown." And I've seen the pictures of the dog, and um, yeah, so I have there's a, there's a there's a there's a little pup out there named after me somewhere, real cute one. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So. Well, if anybody out there watching, I know you guys are tuned in live. Feel free to, if you have a question or something uh, that we've talked about, you want to ask, uh, feel free to put it in the chat. We'll try to get to it here soon. Um, so I want to bring up, because I, I, I named this Unlearn and your your label's Unlearn. So let's talk mm -hmm. about your label. And, and we talked about how, you, I mean, you're about to release some new music in the coming weeks. So talk about yeah. developing your label and your sound. And, and yeah, I, well, I've so listened, obviously, but. For those that may not be aware yeah so the label the label is something i've wanted to do for a while um it was something that was scheduled to start more towards the beginning of the year with the first release coming around winter music conference um and then as the world got a little crazy uh kind of pulled the pull took my foot off the gas on that a little bit i sat on it for a minute continued to talk a, a little bit about with with my management and stuff like that and then eventually we decided I mean, we got to go forward. These streams are going on. People need music. Spotify streaming was spiking. And it was just sort of like, you know, if not now, when? I mean, there's always going to be a good reason not to start it. I had a huge amount of music. Um, 
that I was ready to put out on the label. Um, and so we decided to roll with it. I mean, basically what I found over the past two years or so, I think is things have really started to get serious with me with the production and that kind of stuff was that a lot of mid tier labels that I was releasing on didn't really invest a lot in the release. And although the label had the appearance of it being something really cool, like a good get to sign a track to that label because some of the other artists that they had on the label or whatever it was that was appealing. Um, what I found was is they were basically just factories for signing tracks and putting them out and they didn't really do a lot. And in this atmosphere with the amount of overwhelming volume of music that's coming out all the time, that that's not enough to get things done. Um, and if you're a label and all you're doing is signing tracks and relying on the artist to promote the track and you're not doing anything, I mean, it's fine. There's the thing is with the digital investments, there's no skin off your nose to do that. Right. So as long as an artist is going to sign their music over to you and you can put it out and they promote it and the track never meets the threshold for payback and you collect the money, like, like who cares? Right. So, but there are a lot of labels out there that operate like that. And I found over time that there were, I was doing business with more of these labels than I cared to, because when you sign a track to a record label, I was using the analogy. It's like, it's like, going on a blind date with someone, but then you can't break up with them after you've already gone on the date, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> you sign the Good contract, analogy. it's done, right? I mean, you can't do anything about it. So you sign a contract, you, you find out, oh man, I really wish I wouldn't have signed that track to this label, but it's too late. So I started doing my own investments outside of that. So I said, okay, well, so if I sign a track to a label and then it turns out, surprise, surprise, they're not going to do anything to promote it. Uh, it's worth it for me to invest on my end on making sure that there's at least proper DJ promo or that there's some PR surrounding the release or, or whatever it is. People got have to know about it, right? I mean, there's too much music coming out that you can just rely on shouting at the internet that you have something out and that people are going to know and pay attention and care. So I was doing it on my own when I was signing music to other labels and eventually you know you start talking it over with some of the people that you're working with and you say like why aren't you just doing this yourself i mean you're the whole reason why you're signing this track over the label is just to get the name recognition of that you're on this label but then you're doing all the back-end investment in the first place so all the results the label's getting to get the benefit of you're investing you get the benefit of the exposure of what you spent your money on but in the end you what you're spending on, you're giving half away to a label that's not doing anything for you anyway. So the idea at that point became when I have demos and tracks is to really seek out getting them signed to a, to an A-list label, one of the, one of the top labels, you know, and, and if, if those tracks aren't a fit for any of those labels and the reason why they're not a fit isn't because they're not necessarily good tracks. It's just it doesn't fit the brand of, the handful of labels that I've determined to be A-list labels that I want to be on, then just put it out myself and, and do all this stuff myself um, and then be able to reap the rewards of that myself. And also be able to take that system and when you find music that you like from other artists, regardless of whether they're big or small or whatever, you already know that you have a system in place that works. So you can just sort of like plug things into that system. So, you know, that if so, somebody knows if I sign a release with Unlearn Records, I'm getting top flight DJ servicing, I'm getting PR with the record. I know that I'm getting some of the things which makes it an attractive home for artists to want to be on as well. So that's sort of like the idea, the concept behind the label um, is basically just sort of like labels need to do something <laughs> for the music. And right. uh, and so I, I kind of want to bring that to the table where really only 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 the a-list labels are doing that it's kind of kind of a shame to be honest with you and you you have uh unlearned radio as well like your 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 like Correct. podcast radio yeah the that you're releasing going well. yeah so that so that's where it all that's where the name of the label came from that's where the name of my brand came from it came from the radio show um the radio show has been going for quite some time we're up to 117 or 118 episodes i think now we do, uh, it's broadcast on data transmission and you can catch it on SoundCloud and MixCloud and podcasts and all that kind of stuff. But that was my monthly vehicle for, for, for getting a mix out there and all that kind of stuff 
which uh, it still is, but um, has taken a, a backseat, honestly, to, I mean, I'm going to be doing eight shows a week or eight shows a month now on Twitch and it's live, uh, which is pretty cool. So, um, but that's still going out there every month. And, and, and that's been the main vehicle for my brand actually for the past eight years or however long. Awesome. Um, shout out to, they, they're checking in from Twitch as we talk oh, about Twitch. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> What's up audio feel like? Um, so I guess my question is, is like, where do you see the label like going uh, as as you're building this? I know COVID's been a weird year, but yeah, this I 2020 mean, uh, is interesting. Yeah. But to say the, the least, uh, the, I mean, for me, I I look at the templates of the most successful brands that are out there, and you say, what are these labels doing that make them so successful? Um, where where are the the main opportunities to have the largest revenue streams. And if you look at the pinnacle of everything in, in the dance music world, at least for what I'm doing is to have a weekly night in Ibiza. I mean, that's kind of like the best you can do yeah. in terms of your brand. You have a weekly night in Ibiza. You are, you're big. I mean, you're like one of the biggest things in the whole industry. So um, long-term, I mean, that's what you really want to shoot for. I want to have, a, I want to have a weekly night in Ibiza. Now that's a long way off from where I'm at right now, but it involves growing the brand both in terms of a label putting out music and the attention there, and then also eventually growing into an, an events brand where you're throwing parties. Um, obviously with COVID things are a little weird with that. Um, in the end, I think COVID may have accelerated my ideas to get out into the uh, live event space uh, more than anything, to be honest. Um, but I also want to do it in a way where it's measured and is at the right time and is safe for everybody and all that kind of stuff. So there's no firm plans to do anything just yet. Um, we'll wait and see what happens with this virus over the next few weeks, months, really. Um, and hopefully we get back to some sense of normalcy by next year. But yeah, I mean, eventually the idea is to expand it into an events brand and, and grow it from a regional events brand to a national events brand to an international events brand and, and to be, you know, a, a, one of the most well-respected labels in the biz. I mean, that's the goal, you know, um, and find the niche where this is the type of music that I make. I mean, I've always felt like a lot of music I make. I mean, the number one thing I get back from demos when I send them to like a huge label, I, I mean, I increasingly usually get responses now, which is amazing because you typically don't is I love this song. It's just not right for our label. Right. And, and that has to do with the specific branding of each individual label. And I want my brand and label to have a very specific niche sound, which I think reflects is reflective of my sound. And I do know that there's artists that are out there that make music that sounds like that. And they go, oh, well, what am I going to do with this? It's a little not techno enough to be techno, but it's a little too dark for some of these other house and tech house labels or whatever. And and be able to find that niche and, and be able to grow that musically yeah, both in terms of a of, of a music brand and an events brand. So that's that's the goal. Cool. So hopefully the next time I'm down for uh, Miami Music Week, they'll be like, your night. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully I mean, whenever that is, because I, I went in 2019 to win a music conference. Okay. And, and Miami Music Week. And it's one of the best, like, all around. It's music a fun time. Events. I, yeah. yeah so. it, it's, it's really, I mean, I would say of all the major music industry events of the year it's probably the most fun it's the one where 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 you where you see everyone from the industry just wiling out a little bit more than the other ones i have people for some reason miami brings out the craziness in people so it's, it's definitely a lot of fun it's obviously great for networking um and uh, yeah, it's 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 a good time of year, and it's it's just it's, I'm really disappointed about this past past year that it wasn't able to happen. I had some cool things lined up for that, and there's lots of people I only get to see once a year at that time of year. So, you know, it's a shame that it couldn't happen. Hopefully, ho I don't I I don't think that Ultra is going to happen this year, but hopefully we're we're able to have at least some sort of a conference with some events and stuff. So, hopeful. Let's I hope. Um... I want to give a shout out to Brianne who's tuning in from Twitch that yeah. was sitting in. And then um, before we go, mm -hmm. um, 
what I did want to ask you a question about because we talked about the producer, not DJ side. What about mm-hmm. people that don't necessarily want to produce, but they're great at knowing music and want to DJ? Is that kind of a thing you can do these days or do you have to do both? I don't think it's a thing you can do anymore. Um, you know, people like to go, oh, well, look at uh, Carl Cox or look at whatever. Like he doesn't really produce an overwhelming volume of music. He's a selector. He's a whatever. He also came up 30 years ago. You know, um, the way that the industry is set up now and and I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I'm sorry if this comes as heartbreaking news out there to anybody who wants to be a DJ but doesn't produce is you're not going to get much further than your, than opening gigs in, in your local market. Um, if, if, if you're not willing to produce music, unfortunately, that's just the way that the industry is. It doesn't necessarily make sense that a good producer would be a good DJ or vice versa. It just, it's just the way that the industry is set up right now. Um, in, in a way it's kind of like a, like a, how much effort do you want to put into this thing question? Because, producing music is difficult. It's literally the same skill set as DJing. It's just much more involved and it takes a lot more time and it takes a lot more practice and it takes a lot more making bad music. I mean, nobody just sits down and DJs and all of a sudden has music and you're like, wow, you're a great DJ. You know, you make bad mixes and you you choose bad songs and it's the same way with production. You, you make bad music and you choose bad samples and you have poor sounding tracks and eventually you get better and you make make better songs and same thing with dj eventually you learn this trick and you learn that trick and and you learn how to react to the situation and whatever you get better and i i i don't want to like say anything but you know a lot of times djs who don't want to produce right now sometimes it's because i think that they're scared um of making bad music or they've tried and they've made bad music and they just go, Oh, the hell with it. I'm, I'm not that good at that. Um, but it's like, it's like anything. I mean, you're not, you're never, you're never going to be good at anything if you just do it once. So in order to get good at it, you have to put a lot of time into it. And unfortunately some people, they just don't put in the time. Um, but the, 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 the layout of the industry now, you have to produce. I mean, you have to be a producer first and a DJ second. There's people that are getting gigs playing in front of thousands of people who have never even DJed before based on the strength of one song. And you can say that's fair or not fair or whatever you want to say about it. It's just the way that it is. And to be honest with you, people are going to be more, way more likely. Your, your song that you produce is going to have way more longevity and way more people are going to listen to it than the thousands of people that were there to watch you for that one gig anyway. So the optics of it sometimes can be a little bit confusing as well. I mean, we saw that with Avicii, sadly, his demise, but he was a producer first, but did like yeah. 800 gigs in a year or some, yeah. according to the documentary that was about his life. So yeah. I just, I'm curious about that because I've dabbled myself here and there and I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the balance, obviously, at another day job, but it's kind of those things where people are like, well, I either want to just produce or I either want to just DJ. And I've kind of like, I think you have to do both. Like You kind of have to do both. I would like to see a world because of the, I believe that producing music is a much more involved skill. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a craft, like, you know, like being a welder or like whatever, like you don't just like start welding. I mean, you, you have to learn how this works and it's it's a very involved process it's a skilled trade right and i feel like producing music is a skilled trade whereas i don't necessarily put djing in that same category these days with all the advent of technology and all that kind of stuff so um you know you just kind of gotta you just gotta put the effort in i think you know um and I, but i would like to see a world in which producers are able to be uh compensated more fairly without having to go out there and dj if they don't want to because there are a lot of very good producers who for social anxiety reasons or because they just don't like partying or whatever, they're more apt to be in the studio. And and that I think is valuable. And I think people should be compensated for that. But yeah, 
but the oh, whole idea awesome. of DJing without being a producer, it's cool. You can do it. I mean, you can be an open format DJ. You can be a local opening DJ. There's ways to do it. I mean, I'm not knocking it or saying that it's not possible or anything like that. But if you want to be an internationally recognized artist, you, you're just not going to be able to do it just on DJing these days. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me today. It's gone no by Thanks quickly. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, before we go, I did put it up earlier, so I'll put it up now. Um, everybody should check out his website cool, <laughs> uh, yeah. or anywhere. Find him on Twitch. Uh, yeah, I'm Doc Brown DJ, basically every social media, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, SoundCloud. I'm just soundcloud.com slash Doc Brown, but everywhere else I'm Doc Brown DJ. You can find me there. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me. and Appreciate you having me. I will see you in the Twitch chat. <laughs> yeah, Twitch chat. Oh, Twitch chat on Ferris wheel coming out December 4th. There you go. New track and line. Right. Good plug right there. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah. thanks. Thank you.